Hello and welcome to Contemporary Cage, an expert and informed look at the latter half of actor Nicolas Cage's filmography. On today's episode, we're reviewing the 2016 film Army of One. movie come from and how come nobody has seen it no one has seen this yeah kind of a follow-up to uh uh borat and bruno from director larry charles who of course was uh, a producer on seinfeld back in the day and uh we've got i've got some theories as to why the movie wasn't watched or talked about or didn't gross more um but before we get into all of that derek yeah uh i want to check in with my good friend um and i want to ask you a specific question today oh. i want to ask you uh what have you been playing everyone's spending a lot of time at home and i want to ask you what you've been playing lately what video games have you been oh, playing? Man. derek and i are both gamers uh so i thought that'd be fun we talking a little we always talk about the cage man and everything so Talked a little bit about movies last week. Uh, let's talk about what we're playing. Don't lately. get me started on something like this, Dave. Don't open up the freaking floor to this <laughs> the part of my ones. life. I uh, I, I want to hear. I think people are looking for stuff. I play lots of games at all different times um, because it's my biggest hobby outside of uh, pretty much anything. Uh, I have been playing. I own a Switch, a PS4. Uh, I placed them on the computer, and I just recently received my Oculus Quest VR. So, like, literally, I've had it for a few days, uh, and that's whoa, super fun. Um, I've been I've been finishing up the very last like ten percent of Horizon Zero Dawn. I never beat it. I kind of like put it away halfway through, and then revisited it. Um, I'm always like randomly making Skyrim characters on a whim, so. <laughs> recently mm. doing that uh and then that's fun on my switch sort of going back into your library a bit yeah it's it's nice for quarantine when you have the time you know you don't feel like you have to like spend money um definitely but uh the most recent ps4 game i was playing is i'm doing a co-op run through of borderlands 3 with with a buddy of mine from college we're staying connected through like a co-op of that uh and then yeah that's right max you and max are playing no no me and dylan are playing that one Max and I play Overwatch oh. on Fridays after work. <laughs> I love that you like you're uh, you're in a rec league or something. Yeah, you, you got to make time <laughs> every Friday. Pretty much. That's awesome. Uh, and then on my Switch, I've been playing a little bit of Mario Maker Two. I've been working on the the world update, and okay. um, I always play Slay the Spire card games. Like digital card games are my big. Like, I love all of them. I play a ton of Hearthstone, Slay the Spire. Mm, I've been playing yeah. this game every morning. I wake up an hour early for work, and I play an hour of Faeria, which is a super, super underrated, off-the-radar. Check this game out. It's on computer on the Epic Games Store. They gave it away for free, like, a month ago, um, which is crazy. It's like a digital card game, but, like... 
as soon as like digital card games have like an fae area like fae yes fae like a fairy and then ria i think yeah fairy and like you buy the box for like 25 bucks and then like most card games they're free or next to free and then there's like an economy almost like a free-to-play economy where you have to like buy packs Mm -hmm. and stuff like that which can be like a big point of contention if you're not like way a little off-putting yeah yeah and i get frustrated with it as a fan but this game it's very very much geared towards um playing against ai opponents in lots of different game modes and the really cool part about like the collection the card collecting is that in the beginning you get packs and they're mostly commons right with the more rare cards later but if you as soon as you get all the commons which doesn't take too long every pack that you open is never going to have like excess of cards so you're never going to have like 10 copies of something that you like disenchant it's like you get collect all the common cards and then if you open a booster pack it's going to be all rares or better until you eventually get the entire collection and it doesn't take that long um so it's really different in that way and you don't feel like the monetization hooks um so if you're and it's it's got like a physical board game of like hexes that you play the cards onto the board game and you're creating lands on that board so there's sort of a strategic it's like a game of chess and a digital card game without monetary hooks so fae fae ria and then uh, I would recommend that people haven't heard of it, and it's so good, so worth the money. And then just a ton of VR, mostly Vader Immortal, very cool, and a, yeah, and a game called The Wizard. That card game sounds interesting because I, I feel like I, I play like, I play quite a bit of Hearthstone, but I always will go like a handful of months in between sessions, mm-hmm. um, or in between like when I'm diving in. Yeah, and it can be if you if you have like a half a year or like eight months that you spend away from that and you come back, all of your old decks are going to be completely antiquated. You can't play them in um yeah in, uh, the, the, the traditional mode anymore. So yeah, it can be a little intimidating, and I always have to end up if I do want to be like competitive right away. I have to go and like be like, okay, what can I disenchant yep. and then build new cards and stuff? So yeah, that's there's a hundred percent that you can sort of like flesh out your library a little quicker. Hundred percent required reading with Hearthstone, where it's like if you just don't know the popular formulas, you're just not going to be competitive yeah. most of the time. You got to know the meta. But if you are a fan of like the story mode expansions that come out, which I am, I love that stuff, like the drafting and like the story missions. If you're a fan of that, that's pretty much like all of fairy as like focus is like stuff like that um so big recommend yeah um that's cool yeah i've been playing i've been playing uh one of uh our favorites a classic i've been playing a little bit of ogre battle 64 oh really going through that love that it's like maybe going through that that game is so has a very special 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 place in my heart it's really good. Every I I'm probably good for like once a year booting that up and playing it for a handful of days. It's uh and for those of you who don't know, it was an N64 game and N64 was a platform that had like very very little RPG representation on it. Mm-hmm. Uh and then Ogre Battle is this one 
like it, it's this uh, sort of amalgamation of like a tactics and JRPG mm-hmm. and real time strategy game. It has it's this really weird genre mashup with like a lot of party building mechanics. It's got in some it. like Fire Emblem ish uh, mechanics, but it's also got a very super yeah. fucking long, heady, trying to be like classical fantasy storyline that is just so expansive. Yeah, the story is is crazy and engages with like class and revolution in a lot of like really interesting ways that are you like, you know, you're, I'm playing it now and I'm like, Oh man, this stuff is just like evergreen. This stuff is like always going to be relevant. Um, but yeah, it's it, the, the story's great. That's been really fun Been playing that. Uh, then was playing animal crossing. I've kind of mm. dropped off of animal. I crossing. really don't understand for, it. Man. For some time. It's, it's the best it's great. selling it's, switch it, game period but i yeah. have no desire to I, I love it for i i think a lot of people like it for the same reason they like games like the sims where it's just mm-hmm. the expression as, as like a tool for expression yeah. like it's really fun and then the the connectivity and being able to you know create like spaces on your island that you're excited to show friends and stuff right. all of that stuff is is a lot of Especially fun now. um but yeah, totally. Yeah, absolutely. But like, it's the the actual like ways in which you can engage with your friends is pretty thin. It's pretty mm-hmm. minimal. It's like, oh, you can't really. You can just occupy the same spaces with your friends. You can't actually like achieve anything. Doesn't with sound them. like but they make it, it easy is, I, or intuitive either to do anything like that. Yeah, as in classic Nintendo form, right. uh, they kind of make the online stuff as obtuse as possible exactly uh but yeah that's what i've been playing and speaking of nintendo derek yeah. uh you got a little bit of a uh, game time up top that was fun that we i know talk i'm about sure that, but, uh, that uh, this segue went longer than you anticipated because as soon as you started <laughs> oh, no, no, no. i will just go no i wanted I, I i did want to talk about some games i think that's fun um but today we're gonna be Booting up the Nintendo, Ooh. Derek. Baby whoopee. <laughs> We're gonna boot up the Nintendo. Um, Nintendo sixty four. As as we just kind of displayed, Derek and I both love games. We love talking about games. That's uh, that's always been a big part of our friendship. Is playing games together and, yeah. and chatting about them. Some early and early a memories. A thing that we've talked. To- of, yeah, of totally. Like a thing that to we've your... talked about. <laughs> Sorry, I keep saying there's like a lag oh, no, no. on fucking I, we, Discord. Yeah, we have a little bit of a, <laughs> a lag over Discord right now uh, that's made it so it's a little hard for us to not talk over I, each other. I was but, just going to um, say but that. But like, yeah, it's been a big part of our... Fucking shit. Our friendship, yes. Uh, you were one of the... I think everybody has a friend where it's like... I have a lot of games now because I didn't really have a ton growing up. I just played whatever my brother saved up, like his own money from like minimum wage jobs when he was like 15 to buy. And then I would play those. So I buy a bunch now. But you were the friend. Everybody has a friend where it was like, oh, man, if you go to David's house, he's got like all these games. And I remember like playing, being introduced to Resident Evil uh, through like you and like playing through the co-op of Resident Evil Five and like borrowing games from oh, yeah. you all the time. Yeah, definitely. I I from a very early age, I was like 
I the first job that I ever wanted to do is I like I was a subscriber to Nintendo Power and like EGM and all these video game mm-hmm. magazines and I was like I want to write about video games. That was like the first thing. So even then as like a young boy I was like wanted to play and have like a take on every, every game that was like important to me. Yeah. Um but yeah, we definitely uh, but the reason that I was I was talking about that is we've talked about like, oh, how could we do sort of like a tie-in if we were ever to do sort of like a Twitch stream that was related to this show in some way? And mm-hmm. then that got me sort of thinking, going down the line of, does Nick have any movie tie-ins for the video for the movies that he's or video game tie-ins for the movies that he's made? Right. Uh, so I've come up with a little quiz, Derek. Okay. For you. Mm-hmm. Um, we know we know that you're pretty knowledgeable when it comes to your cage cred. Sure. Um, but we're gonna need you to to put that gamer cred on the line. No. So I'm gonna list a number of Nick Cage films, and okay. you've got to tell me if there is or if there isn't a game tie-in. I will. Uh, I will save it. you some time right now and tell you I have n- no idea. But please give me the option well, so I can me neither. best guess. This is, yeah. <laughs> This is not, this is, no one could have known this, because all of these are obscured. Not a single game on this list is popular in any way. I don't think that any of them were good or well-received or anything, but they do exist. There's a handful of game tie-ins for Nick's movies that do exist. Um, So you just have to use your intuition to sort of uh, (laughs) figure out, because I I promise you, I would have... I would have maybe just been like on context clues, be able to guess a few of these, but I had no idea that any of the ones on this list existed. Okay, so here we go. And Derek, we're going to start off with a little movie called Con Air. Mm. Con Air. And uh, if you remember, it was that came out in the 90s. It starred Nicolas Cage and John Malkovich. Um, and it's about uh, he gets wrongly imprisoned after a, a sort of a righteous act of self-defense, and uh, he serves his time. And for some reason, he gets put on a prisoner transport plane that has the most dangerous and lethal prisoners, criminals in the U.S. And he's going to be released, uh, but everyone else is going to be transferred to like. A high security prison. So okay. the 1997 Con Air. Okay. Does it or does it not have a video game? So tie-in? I'm gonna say yes because uh, coming out in the 90s, uh, the big game it was like right after kind of the video game crash and then revival, where home consoles kind of became a thing that was like less for like super early adapters, like right after the NES. So the big games around like the Sega Genesis, Super Nintendo NES era were like side-scrolling brawlers. There were a lot of those, like Ninja Turtles. Um, it was like a Superman game. Uh, and there was a lot more tie-ins in general because the laws were kind of looser. So I think a, t- a side-scrolling brawler in that generation for a freaking kick-ass movie like Con Air could totally exist. And I'm going to say there is a video game. Unfortunately, there there was not a Con Air video game. A very, very popular movie for Nick. One of his first, like, big blockbusters. I think, like, The Rock happened and then Con Air happened. Um, But 
Damn never uh, had a video game tie-in. Damn it. Um, but good guess. We're moving on to number two. Derek, the 2007 uh, film Ghost Rider, which we've reviewed on this very, very show, uh, did it have a video game tie-in? 2007. Ghost Rider, 2007. So there was a lot of shovelware in the early 2000s with, like, the Wii. Um, and he has a whip, right? Like a chain whip. He's got a chain whip. I'm going to say there was some fucked up Wii tie-in with a chain whip. Motion control. Derek, you're correct yes. about that. Ghost Rider, uh, there was a video game that came out in February of 2007 uh, on PS2. Oh, uh, PS2. There was also a Game Boy Advanced version of it developed by 2K Games, uh, and there was 2K? an Xbox version of the game. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but um, but uh, I think the game performed so poorly that they canceled the Xbox version. <laughs> well, how is it on Game Boy and um, PlayStation? Oh, my gosh. I, well, it wasn't the same game, I'm sure. I, yeah. I'm sure that they were separate. You know how... I guess I was a little... They would just be like, okay, let's get this on... As many platforms as possible. I guess I was a little early with or the Wii being 2007. I guess that's way too early. I just... How old am I? What the fuck? <laughs> yeah, the PlayStation 2, PlayStation Portable, and Game Boy Advanced. Oh. Um, I, I, and yeah, yeah, it was sort of a, a hack and slash uh, uh, game. Oh, no. Um, the Wii came out in 2006. All right, moving... Okay. Yeah, no, I think you're right. Okay. I think it just didn't happen to come out on the Wii. Yeah, it was like a, a uh, game for an older okay. console. Derek, uh-huh. uh, next up we have Leaving Las Vegas. What? 1995 film. Did it or did it not have a video game tie-in? It better not, dude. What? No, it didn't. <laughs> <laughs> It didn't, right? Derek, you are correct once again. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, you're correct. <laughs> that doesn't make any fucking sense. Uh, no leaving Las Vegas game. Um, yeah, I think that would have sort of undermined the original what? creative vision what? of How do you win? leaving Las Vegas. <laughs> you die? Yeah, maybe you could do... <laughs> maybe you could do sort of like a leisure suit Larry, but like a more somber version of that where you go around collecting martinis and getting kicked out of casinos um but next up derek we have uh the 2010 i believe uh film kick-ass did kick-ass have a video game tie-in i mean it's very nerd culture forward nerd culture positive you know um Mm-hmm. superheroes were big there's a lot of characters with different powers i mean it's all there dave it's all there but is that the reason why it's too believable because i've been ruined before when it's it's makes too much sense right so that's true uh, go with your gut though my man yeah i mean it just I'll say yes. I'll say yes. Derek, yeah. you are correct. Yeah. There is a kick-ass video game. Um, <laughs> and it's I called it Mario 64. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
It um, was on the iOS and uh, the PS... What would it have been the 3? PS3 by 2010? Yeah. I mean, they might have been making a f- game that released on both, but... Oh, I'm looking at screenshots. It, yeah, it looks bad. Xbox 360, yeah, so sort of PS3. Yeah, just like a, yeah. a brawler. Yeah. Uh, okay, next up. Derek, we have the... 2000 um, film... John Woo film Face Off, uh, where Nick and John Travolta, no. or sorry, not 2000, 1997, no way, film Face Off, which was an action thriller, um, where Nicholas plays the infamous villain Caster Troy, uh, and he crashes, and they go, he like gets John Travolta's face or something. No way, no way. Great movie. Great no way is it a video game. Wow. Derek, uh, you are correct. Yeah. Doing very, very well. Come on. Uh, despite the fact that John Woo did have his name on uh, a game later on called Stranglehold. Oh, boy. Called Stranglehold. <laughs> uh, it, he did not have a video game tie-in for Face Off. Okay. Good. Uh, very good. Next up, we've got... A more recent film, mm-hmm. Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Oh. Was there a video game? There should be. That freaking movie's dope. Um, and there's so many different Spider-Mans. Yeah. What? But I would know. That's so recent. Unless it tanked. No. This is a trick one. No. There's no video game. Derek, once again, you are correct. Yes. Wow. Very good. <laughs> yeah, would have been. I would it could have made a very good game. Hell that yeah. that look, I feel like, would have been super suitable to uh, a video game. And yeah, all those different characters. Would I mean, have been it's really Sony fun. too. So um, put Sony Studios on it. Maybe yeah. they're working on it right now. Easy partnership right there. That'd be great. But also, like, that's one of those things where, like, the cool thing about it, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse is it's so singular. It's just, like, it's on its own. Mm. It's telling its own story. Um, but, you know, I'd play I'd play that game if it was good. Yeah, hey, I'd play it. Um, I'd play anything if it's good. Next up, yeah, I, hey, one of the things about me, love a good game. <laughs> um, next up, we have Ant Bully, the 2006 animated movie Ant Bully. Sort of a, a little miss, kind of missed the ship on the bug-based animated movies. Hmm. Ants and Bugs Life were, I think, nineteen ninety-eight movies. And then there was uh, Ant Bully. Do you remember the Ant Bully? We haven't like, talked about it. I think once on the show. I think like, um, like, like, like it's something you saw in a crazy person's garage sale, like the cover art of it or something. And so for some reason, it's <laughs> yes, like sticking in my much. mind. But like consciously, yeah. no. But I, If you're like driving familiar. up the five, you might see a copy of the Ant Bully at a gas station. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what did we think? Is there a video game tie-in? This one is really stumping me because shitty like lowbrow animated feature films that are like trying to make money and don't aren't like backed by a really impressive studio i think are just rife for just getting video game tie-ins as a quick cash grab um but this one might be so far on the end of like obscurity that it wasn't even do you want a little 
Yeah. Do you want a little information, like a plot summary to help you? Sure. Okay, so uh, the ant bully was about uh, a young boy. So the, these I like ants it were so tired far. of this young boy attacking their colony. He was very, very destructive, very um, sort of malevolent little boy. So they invented something to shrink him down to his own size, so to sort of teach him uh, about what it's like to be an ant. Um, and I think Nick played an ant. Oh, Dave, this is... This one is making me kind of depressed. I'm sorry <laughs> to say. Just if the if it is true, the thought of there being physical copies of the ant bully occupying space in the world is a depressing thought. I don't. I just the like thinking about it <laughs> in general. You know, I the people who had to make that game. And like a movie that no one wanted to see, and then a game that no one wanted to play based on that movie that no one wanted to see. Uh, I mean, I worked, I worked at a GameStop in LA, so I've seen a lot of weird games come through those doors. Uh, back back in my heyday, a lot of old, dusty, nasty boxes with like just like weird Barbie spinoffs and like just weird shit. And mm-hmm. I, I don't know about Ant Bully. I mean, I hate this one. I'm going to say, uh, I'm going to say, yes, there was a game. All right, Derek, you are correct. Yeah. <laughs> There was an ant bully game. I just went, went with, with my your gut. heart and that you nailed one. it. Yeah. Oh That's my god, really I'm like good. sweating. Um so yeah, you've only you only missed one so far. So very, very good wow. job not to sort of psych you out. Which one was uh, that? Next up, Derek. What? Oh, you missed uh, Con Air, the first one. Oh, that would have been a cool freaking brawler. I'm okay with that one. Yeah. Con Air could have been great. Um, so next up we have Gone in 60 Seconds. This, this was released in, uh, when was this released? Holy shit. Gone in, yeah, in 2000, uh, Nick has to steal 50 different luxury vehicles, uh, in a single night to save the life of his brother. So he's like an expert thief and a car driver um <sighs> and uh fucking i think that uh season of the witch was the second time that nick collabed with the gone in 60 seconds director so the hmm. a repeat collaborator which really? we reviewed last week so was there a gone in 60 seconds video game this there? is my fiance's favorite nick cage movie uh, it's pretty good so the thing is, I have a blind spot for PlayStation 2. It's like a really, it's like one of the best selling consoles of all time and has one of the biggest game libraries of all time. But I just didn't, I just completely skipped it. I went like NES, Sega, Super NES, like 64, Xbox, all, but I never did PS2. So I could see there being like a, like a racing PS2 because PS2 had a lot of fucking car racing games. Um, 
mm-hmm. in that era. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, so far there's been a pattern of his like classics movies not having video games, like Con Air and Face Off and all these like bigger kind of like more serious movies. Whereas like the stupid ones seem to have games. Um so they might be more protective because I mean, Gone in sixty seconds is a freaking classic. Uh, mm-hmm. God, one of the uh, we had we've had people reach out and say, "Cover this movie." I love this movie. That's literally something people have told yeah. us. And, uh, unfortunately, we cannot. We it's not just it's not one of the movies. Whenever we, can we do. walk down the street, people are just screaming at it at us. Watch Gone with sixty seconds. That is maybe the only. That's one of the only ones that people and very much appreciate when uh, you guys reach out to to say what you'd like to hear. But legally, we are actually contractually obligated to only watch movies post two thousand. I didn't. So. I didn't come off my freaking desert island, tropical island beach getaway to come watch good old Nicolas Cage movies. I'm watching the real deal. <laughs> That's right. Of a higher purpose. Yes. Uh, I'm gonna just say yes. There's a video game. Gone in sixty seconds. Ooh, damn! I knew it. I knew it. Incorrect. Fuck! I knew that. I know you. Your line of thinking. Your line of thinking was good. Um, yeah, no, gone in sixty seconds. Video game would make absolute sense because I feel like, especially if you're going to do like a quick, fast, and easy development on a, you know, that shovelware movie tie-in, mm-hmm. like a licensed video game, a driving game, what what's better than that? We yeah. don't have to model any characters. Yep. We don't even need their likenesses. Uh, we can just, you know, drive around. Just make a half-decent driving um, game and get extra sales from the IP. Yeah, exactly. Uh, get Angelina Jolie and Nick Cage on the front cover, and that, and then it's Everybody was too busy playing uh, Twisted next Metal. Up, it's true, yeah. Early burnout games were hitting then. Mm-hmm. Would have been. I mean, imagine if they had just get, like gotten burnout and then slapped a gone in sixty seconds uh, name on that, like a hey, skin man. on that. Let's ride. Um, next up, Derek, we have another movie that we've reviewed. We have the Sorcerer's Apprentice. Yes, there's a game. There's a game for that. Derek, you are correct. Yeah, yeah. There's got to be a game for that. Quick with that one too. Yeah, that Confidence. one. I could just I see it. it in my mind's eye. I don't know. There's a game for that. Yeah. Um. Yep. And it was on the Nintendo DS, and that was oh. it. It was a sort of a third-person shooter puzzle video game for the Nintendo DS. Interesting. Yeah. Um, okay, next up, Derek. It's a lot. We've got another animated film. Okay. Uh, yeah, we, there are a lot. We're almost done. <laughs> uh, this is G-Force. Oh. Do you know anything about G-Force, Is this the Derek? hamsters? <laughs> this is the hamster yes, movie. Yes, there's a game. Armed with there's the a game, latest and it's... high-tech spy gear, a guinea pig named Darwin yep. and his team of specifically trained rodents often the last line of defense. There's 100% a game, and and it's awesome. Are you locked in on that? Yes. Okay. Yes, that (laughs) is correct. There is a G-Force game. That that is like, that is such a good game. I don't think I've ever played it, but (laughs) (laughs) it's better as a game than a movie. You're running around as a guinea pig with with like like rocket launchers on your back. Hell yeah. Yeah. 
It's like Monkey Ball, but All right. James Bond. Uh, that's true. I'm sure there is a monkey ball component to it because they they've got those little like uh, rodent balls. That exactly. Ride I think that's a big in. part. Of it. I might have seen something on this game. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I don't. I've definitely seen screenshots of the like screen grabs of the movie. I've never seen the game prior uh, to doing the research. Well, for finally, this. like um, an easy. One. Next up, though, Derek. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're doing good. The, the last two you. Hold that trigger quick. Um, got them both right. Next up, we have National Treasure, Derek. See, I was thinking about this one when you first even started describing the segment of like, is there a fucking National Treasure game? <sighs> yeah. I, I do. I knew just sort of monitoring the ebb and flow of your mood throughout this game. I knew this one would bring you down a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I my gut is that there is not. Like, there's a lot of reasons why there could be, like, with Disney and it being, like, a really big freaking money-making IP. I feel like this is one of those traps where there actually isn't, because what the hell is the gameplay? Are you locked in? Yeah. Okay. Derek, there is not. There is. Sorry. Oh, there is God a, damn there it, There is David. a National Treasure game. <laughs> <laughs> really jerking you around there. Ah. It is a mobile game. It's a mobile game. Oh fuck! So like you. on cell phones. Back in the day when people could buy <laughs> cell phone games, there was a national treasure game. Uh, yeah, you got to get just, some monetization quick... out of that. I'm, yeah, I mean the mouse doesn't just leave money on the table. Yeah, but I was surprised that there was nothing beyond that. Right. I think even for the sequel, the only video game tie-in was a weird mobile game from 2004. I don't like the mobile thing being um, like a part of it. it that, that's like different. That's different. I know. I felt a little unfair doing that, but it is true. You should feel unfair. You're unfair. <laughs> I didn't specify. I, I didn't, you know, any platform is available. We've got uh. DS games. We've got Wii games, PS2, PSP. We got it all. Yeah, but like a DS um, and a Wii, like those are game consoles. Freaking mobiles are just like ads. I don't know. Are you telling me that the that the N gauge site wasn't a mobile console? <laughs> the Come in- on, man. Well, I will say uh, Apple Arcade's been pretty cool. I would recommend that if you have a phone. You're not really into games, but you're like casual and like grindstone's really really fun and cards of darkness yeah grindstone is cool derek i'm with you yeah so um okay derek next up we've got two more next up we have the rock the rock uh the nick's collaboration with michael bay one of his first maybe his first like blockbuster um action film uh he plays i think a scientist that has to go to uh alcatraz because it's been taken over by this uh this like terrorist cell send the scientist is there a game tie-in uh yeah did michael bay do avatar no that's james cameron. james cameron james cameron sorry wow there goes my cred although you know who cares about this? You're losing guys? all sorts of cred today. Uh, no, you're do- you're doing very well on this actually. Uh, so we're talking about Michael Bay. I mean, I know there's a shit ton of Transformers games, and that's Michael Bay, right? 
Correct. Okay. Yes. Um, you know, I've never actually watched the Transformers movies. Oh, interesting. Yeah. That seems like one of those things that even if you weren't interested in, right. just through osmosis, you would be put in front of a screen. And it wasn't like one of those things where point. it was like, oh, Michael Bay isn't a filmmaker or anything. Like, I just, like, I wasn't trying explicitly not to, but they're just, there became mm-hmm. so many, and I kind of got lost. And then I did watch one of them on mute at a 4th of July barbecue party while Creedence Clearwater Revival albums were just playing. So I like saw scenes, That's cool. <laughs> which was kind of cool. I was like, "That's I'm into that. Um, but uh, like, I actually went to Universal Studios when I was in LA and there's a cool Transformers ride. And I was in line and I was yeah, like... Yeah, Transformers ride is great. Yeah, I was like, I don't know anything about Transformers. And you know, I knew it was a cartoon in the 80s and stuff. So I started to just, you know, it's a long line. I just, like, did some Google searching on my phone of, like, Transformers, and I started getting into some deep lore, dude. Like, Transformers gets crazy. Like, it's like you could write a fantasy book about... I thought it was just, like, more on the surface. Like, it's like an anime. Like If you're interested... The lore is there. I like like that ride. Yeah, I like that Transformers ride. There's a moment where Optimus Prime, at the end of it, he tells you he's, like... I'm proud of you, human. And it's really a nice moment. <laughs> you feel very like acknowledged and celebrated. Uh, great moment. Yeah. I mean So uh, what do you think, Derek? The yeah, Rock. The is Rock doesn't a have a type? video game, nope. <laughs> you are correct. Thank yeah. You. I think maybe a little too early. Like there were a handful of like SNES games. Like I know that there was like an SNES like Friday the thirteenth, so it, mm-hmm. it would have been possible. That in 1996, or or was the N64 out in 1996? There was Maybe. a there Maybe was a uh, Friday the Thirteenth for the NES. Is that when that came out? Okay. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there was precedent for movie tie-in games. I think uh, yeah, there was like Back to the Future and ET on Sega the had there, a lot of stuff, a long Aladdin lineage of this, and Superman and. Um, but unfortunately, Lion never King. got The Rock, the game. September 26, uh, 1996 doing research, the uh, Nintendo 64. Oh, okay. Interesting. Um, doing research on The Rock is very, very difficult because The Rock right. is like the biggest celebrity in the world. Right. <laughs> so like Googling The Rock game, I was, it was very hard to find. You it. just get like 17 um, okay, WWF games or something. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Um, last up, Derek, we've got a favorite of yours. Oh, we've got the, the Croods. Croods. There's a game. Does the Croods yeah. have a game? It's for <gasps> Wii U. Pulling I trigger think? right away. I think I've seen the box art. Holy shit! Yeah, it's for the Wii U. Derek, you nailed it. You're correct. <laughs> I know uh, Croods. The Croods prehistoric party. Yeah. It was on the Wii U. Yeah. I think you can get it for like eighty nine so, cents. So. Derek, you did very, very well. You well, got I knew I would. Two, or you got all right except for two. Which one um, of them I which is, failed and didn't go with my gut, and the second one I stand by being fine with being round, wrong about Con Air because my logic was sound and that game would have been yeah. awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah, so yeah, Gone in 60 Seconds and Con Air were your only two uh, blunders. But other than that, I'm very impressed, Eric. That's a, that's a hard game to play. But there is definitely sort of a trend. You're like, oh, okay, all of these animated kids' movies have 
game tie-in. Well, I didn't know that. Bigger budget. That's how it ended up. Like, who knows? Like, yeah. which ones did not. But thank you. It's true. Thank you. Thank um, you. But that was great. Uh, and now that we've done that, Derek. It's time to get into the meat of the show. We're reviewing a movie today called Army of One, a 2016 comedy directed by Larry Charles, starring Nicolas Cage and Russell Brand and Wendy McClendon Covey uh, about a uh, an eccentric construction worker who gets visited by God. The, the construction worker's name is Gary Faulkner. And he makes the decision, after receiving a quest from God, uh, to embark on an adventure to uh, Pakistan um, to bring Osama bin Laden to justice. Uh, And this is kind of an interesting movie for us. I think this is maybe the only comedy that we've ever reviewed on the show. It's true. It's true. Um, Nick doesn't do comedies ever. And uh, and then just some context. I referenced uh, that I was going to be talking about this um, at the beginning of the show, but in, in numerous interviews on promoting this movie, or actually, Larry or Larry Charles and Nick Cage, neither of them really put any effort into promoting this movie because yeah. they were both really really disappointed because the uh, their um, their studio took away final cut from larry charles so he was really really dissatisfied with the final cut of the movie Hmm. interesting Um, because the the editing is not great i feel like it's one of the weaker parts yeah totally and it i wonder if they we know that larry charles like who again directed borat and bruno likes to do sort of out there stuff this Mm -hmm. movie isn't it it definitely has jokes that make you think like uh this this is kind of like a bluer comedy or there's a bluer sensibility behind this but it doesn't really lean into that a lot um so i wonder if that like some of that stuff got cut out because they wanted to make it maybe a little more friendly of a movie um but yeah it's uh I don't know what you how how do you feel about this movie overall? Um, it's a bit of a kind of just a wild fever dream. It like watching it gives you the sense is, yeah. that you were flipping through channels at your parents' house who have Dish and you never use Dish and you don't know what to do because there's no streaming. So you're just like going through a billion channels and you flip it on and it's like 11 p.m. But you're like, I'll start a movie. And by the time it's over, it's like 2 a.m. And you're like, where am I? What the fuck was that? Was weird. Um, But I don't believe it necessarily deserves the like the Rotten Tomatoes is like 20 something percent. And like, yeah, it's not, uh, I'm not going to say it's, uh, like, I think there's some like tone issues. Um, there's like a lot that it Mm -hmm. borrows from like the, the big comedy guys, like the, um, like Adam McKay, um, is a really famous producer of like, uh, comedies. He did like Step Brothers and, and wrote a lot of like the Anchorman and like that kind of stuff. And there's a little bit of that, um, like style of movie making in that like there's a flashback in the beginning where he's a kid and there's this like narrator who sounds like a 1950s kind of narration in the movie but there's also this like wet hot american summer thing where the movie does not 
pick a reality to like be consistent in mm-hmm. where like some I know like part of it is that he's might be hallucinating. I'm kind of going all over the place here, but they they don't really they don't really stay consistent in the world that they create in terms of where does the comedy live and how do people react to comedy and what is the rules of this universe, you know? Sure. And and I'll say you were making the point about it being kind of all over the place and a little disjointed. It's sort of in the same way that like Borat and Bruno are kind of a collection of sketches with a slight through line, like a very, very minimal through line. This movie kind of has some of that, uh, especially once he gets to Pakistan. There's like a number of things that kind of happen to him that don't that kind of have an overall uh, affectation on his arc, but don't necessarily feed into a linear narrative. Um, and, and I think that might just be a style of Larry Charles. He, he's also one of the producers on Seinfeld, like we said earlier. That's a, a show notoriously where it's like sort of meandering uh he was also a producer on like curb your enthusiasm right. and um i think that yeah i think that there's definitely sort of this disjointed stuff where they were there there it, it it feels kind of like a comedy where they're trying to just drop this this character into different absurd comedic situations and see and sort of have the world play straight man against him. But I will say, it, the, it, it to your point about the world not always reacting to him in the same way, there's definitely truth to that. You definitely don't have this like consistent reaction to him as a character because he is this person who is like he's an intensely like xenophobic like nationalist guy when we first meet him he's he's obsessed with like american products there's a kind of a funny sequence where he's walking around a home depot being like that was made in china you don't want to get that (laughs) or this this was made by the germans you know you know you don't want to get this uh and the, the arc of the film is essentially that he starts in this really, really xenophobic place because he is his his brain has essentially been fried by American propaganda, and he's like this existential fear of Al Qaeda, like post nine eleven, has so deeply infected him that it's like affected his behavior and the way that his attitudes towards the world and the people that he interacts with. Um, and then once he actually gets to Pakistan, he has the realization he's like, oh, people are people everywhere in the world, and there is this kind of like nice. Uh, arc of him breaking out of that xenophobia um but the 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 rest of the movie is sort of it, it it's kind of like wobbles out of being like a character study versus like a really really extreme caricature that he's doing of this guy mm-hmm. uh maybe that's an inter- a thing we should talk about we see some interview footage with the real gary faulkner this is based on a true story um and it, nick is definitely taking some kind of extreme liberties oh, with everything about it it's it's very cruel honestly like it it, it really like the guy's kind of it a character a but like 
the way that they create his reality and like the events that happen and like his motivate, like I imagine if you're that guy, even if you are a weirdo, like, and I have a pretty big sense of humor about stuff like this, but like, it's really fucking mean. Like it's really <laughs> at his expense it in a, a big little, way. It does feel a little mean. <laughs> um, and we do know that he, he profited off of this movie. I don't know how much he profited off of it because I don't think the movie made very much. But one of the last things it says is, uh, it, you know, you sort of see this um, this quick montage of all of his, you know, uh, appearances on late night shows and, and like early morning talk shows. Um, and then it says like Gary Faulkner is hoping to use the funds, the profits from this movie to get a new kin- kidney. He's on dialysis. His, his kidney is failing him. That's a, a big sort of part of the movie. Um, but he's y- hoping that the money that he makes from this movie will afford him the ability to get a new kidney so he can continue his search for... It wouldn't have... Or no, yeah. he. Got, I guess he b- believes at the end of the movie that Osama Bin Laden is still alive. So he wanted to continue his search for... Osama bin Laden. Yeah, I so mean, it is, this it, it is more of a movie <laughs> than like a Borat thing for sure. In that, like, there is some like a, definitely appealing to um, certain like uh, heartstrings or like uh, just like um, a character's choices that are like really affecting because like it kind of has this whole setup of like he's actually genuinely really cares about this woman. Um, really in love with her and he's yeah. amazing to her daughter who's like a special needs uh, daughter and like he's like being a handyman for her and he really is genuinely like more emotionally intelligent and like uh, caring and thoughtful than the average typical person so like they you, they save the cat mm-hmm. in the way that you do with that character and so his like weird almost like compulsive urge to go on this insane quest to find Osama bin Laden like plays to your like sadness that he he has everything he needs and he could just settle down um and that's kind of like the only real conflict but it really plays like a variety show in that there are these five situations or scenes that he is continuously going in and out of all the time, whether it's customs because he's trying to travel, which he goes in and out of those scenes a lot, yeah. or he's at the house with the woman. Uh, what's her name? The actress again? Uh, when? Uh, uh, Wendy McClendon. And who, uh, if you don't know, she's uh, she was from most famous from Reno 911. Right. She's the like platinum blonde, uh, bleach blonde uh, police officer. And on she that show, is who's really a very very funny like straight man in this movie. She is. Well, she does the thing where like there's this one scene that I think is a really good like encapsulation of like the reality not being consistent where. Um, they talk about like breaching the the subject of like, should we actually date? And, um, you know, Nick Cage's character is clearly a weird fucking like past his prime unkempt fucking weirdo who doesn't have a job and is kind of a slob. Yeah. And so there's this scene that's kind of like a Will Ferrell thing or something. I don't know where it's like, um, you know, have you dated anyone? And she's like, no, I haven't. And he's like, I haven't dated either in like three years. And there's this like reaction of like, oh my God, but you're such a stud. That's crazy. And then he goes, well, I really like you. And she's like, oh my God. It's like blowing your mind as if he is like some super fucking lady killer guy. And that can be funny. Like, I'm not saying like that's a negative thing, but like a lot of other parts of the movie, people react to him in more of a reality of like 
he's not that at all. Yes. Like it's it, and there's no like I don't know. It just like it feels like a, a scene they that would have been also, in a different movie with a different tone and universe. Yeah, they also don't gift her with anything that would make her like kooky in a way that would allow her to buy into this guy as being attractive so because she is just like really really sweet working a bunch of jobs so that she can take care of her daughter has a great sense of humor good head on her shoulders immediately yeah um but it is so i have a i have a theory about this and i think that especially after we had the segment where we heard Nick talking about the decision to um, use the voice that he uses in Peggy Sue got married, the, the, yeah. the um, pokey voice from, from gumbo. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that it is possible that maybe the script wasn't written with that voice intended with that voice in mind and I think it, it so he's doing an incredibly high pitch. It can be very grating. Voice. Yeah. And when you hear the actual, yeah, very grating. When you hear the actual Gary Faulkner, it isn't his voice. Even it's not even close to it. Gary doesn't really have no. a, at all like a um, an idiosyncratic voice. He kind of just talks like a normal guy, uh, and he has like a unique look, and he's doing very very bizarre things. But it it made me think that maybe Nick made this choice. And if he hadn't made this choice, all of these reactions would seem slightly more realistic. Like Wendy react. I mean, he was still would be a really wacky dude in making insane choices. Um, but it is the the idea that he has these really really good friends, and that he has this like lovely, like beautiful woman who's interested in him. Uh, it does feel like a little far fetched. Um, I I, well, I don't know. It it's, doesn't. It's, you know, it doesn't. It's whatever. It's just ridiculous. It doesn't though. play with like either the world is wacky and maybe there's a normal guy in there, or the fact that like they make a big deal that like he's on dialysis and if you don't take dialysis, which he, if he forgets to do, you can start hallucinating. Mm-hmm. And they pay off that hallucination with like some crazy you know uh, fight he has with Osama bin Laden that doesn't exist, but. It's like they could have played with that in terms of, like, are we just seeing the world through his eyes? And to him, it seems like everyone's reacting to him positively. But it's like the Mandy, the end of Mandy, where, like, he looks insane, Mm, but Mandy's looking at him sweetly. And that's not really how it would go down. That's just, like, his mind's eye projecting what he wants his happy ending to be. And they don't really play with the, like, is he hallucinating? Is he not? Which, like, I think is, like, kind of a miss because... It's so kind of unclear and a little ambiguous as to like what the rules of the world and what like perception people have. Because I know like the voice thing, he could have potentially said the same lines and have seemed just more like a goofball with a heart of gold. But the first thing that they say to each other is they see each other at a hardware store after many years. And he's like, hey, I like masturbated to you all the time in high school, like immediately says that. And she reacts like oh, so good to see you. Like, just almost like a bull rat reaction where they don't yeah. even register what he just said. But, like, that's funny. I, I think she says, yeah, I think she says that that is disgusting, but I'll take it. Yeah. So, it, like, it, it does kind of show. That's true. That it kind of makes sense that she, like, if she if he 
could have delivered and that's a tough line to deliver with any amount of charm (laughs) yeah but i do think maybe he could have delivered it with some charm and then also like that's the moment uh i think that's an important piece of characterization for her even though it doesn't necessarily isn't super believable yeah but i do think the fact that she responds that way instead of just being like i'm totally normal with a normal sense of humor the fact that she's like oh this is funny to me but she does uh, say i think is important immediately why she puts up with them she does immediately say that like i have been dating guys and it sucks because i only date guys who don't have anything going on because that's the only time i'm free is like the middle of the day on weekdays and like it sucks yeah. that they're they don't have a job and they don't have money and they don't like have any ambition or whatever. Yet he is totally like a part time contract, like lazy construction <laughs> worker. So he is exactly what she's describing. Yet like later in the movie, she's like her mind is blown that he would even like consider dating her. <laughs> so like the, like I'm all it's for, yeah, I'm all for like the stuff. joke of an unbelievably gorgeous woman, which she like, they do a, uh, like in Reno 911, they really try to make her look like she just rolled out of bed, hung over in all of her scenes. It's part of the joke of her character. <laughs> but she looks great yeah. in this movie. She looks gorgeous. She's so pretty in this movie. Oh yeah. She's beautiful. I can't believe I didn't, um, I've never seen her outside and of the show. She, yeah, I, I don't think I've seen her anything uh, other. Oh, no, she's in Bridesmaids. She oh, has a funny, that's right. Uh, she's one of the Bridesmaids. Yeah. And she, yeah, kind of a small role, but really, really funny in that. Mm-hmm. But there, she does, it, it does kind of make me wish that she got to point out the unusual thing um, more in scenes with him because there's there's like a very, very funny moment where he's kind of, it's after he's like, tried to leave to pakistan and has failed and come home to her i think the second time <laughs> and she kind of just like calls him on it she's like hey if you're gonna uh if you're gonna like do this and he's like trying to justify it and make it seem normal and she just like states like she's like you're a you're a guy who will like leave to go and try to kill osama bin laden and then return home to me whenever she like puts it very very plainly as like and and it's just such a good like straight manning of the scene and like pointing out the unusual thing, mm-hmm. uh, and, yeah. And I wish that they had done more of that because I think that at a certain point, they, they kind of decide that they don't want there to be a tremendous amount of conflict between him and her. Yeah. They're like, oh, we like these characters getting along better, mm-hmm. um, and and they and, which is good. I, I I'm glad that she's not turned into like the classic nag of like trying to like stop this guy from from going uh on this journey that he wants to go into i think that would have been sort of like a stereotypical and they're pretty fucking cute on that with once in a while like successfully cute yeah they're really (laughs) i know they they really are which is like another testament to her to make it seem like there's any chemistry with this character that nick is doing is ridiculous i mean Um, i think yeah i think sometimes the context of like their interactions and how the through line of their relationship like because separately all of these different things work and are funny like the can't believe he would be Mm -hmm. with me scene is is funny and silly and stupid and then like the stuff where she's like genuinely dramatically reacting to their relationship getting strained because of his like third fucking trip to pakistan like that stuff works really well and like but like i just we've been talking about it for a while and like it is a stupid comedy which stupid comedies 
do get a pass with certain things about their story and structure because that's not why you're watching them a lot in a lot of times sure, you know totally. like if you really like map out the fucking story of Step Brothers, which is a hilarious movie it's like there's a lot to be desired there obviously so like we could kind of get lost in the like things that don't work about the movie which is very much um like expressed in a lot of scenes between them two and their relationship but being kind of confused and inconsistent doesn't necessarily completely work against the movie because it is strange and uh like out there and there are especially if you take clips out of context there are some funny fucking scenes in this movie like without uh, like asterisks there are some fu- especially 100%. his uh, scenes where he communicates with God directly always make me fucking laugh like his, Nick Cage's performance is so like confident and like off the cuff and so like you can't stop him he's running a million miles an hour but then is the second that like God appears his 180 is so funny he's just so god fearing it is just really like good. bowing and just like I don't know I feel like you could make that as dramatic as it is and it not play well but like it always tickled me every time he freaked the fuck out whenever God showed up no it, it's so it's such a funny choice that he makes because yeah he like his physical stature in those moments yeah. seems to shrink. Like he seems to shrink and look up and he's beaming and he, he's like, he's just showing awe. He's like, I'm in a state of, of awe because I'm actually like, I believe that this is God coming and speaking to me. And it's such, it's one of those things that I love to see in a, in a comedic performance. Um, uh, so Glenn Howerton, who plays Dennis in it's always sunny in Philadelphia. I remember hearing him talk about, he has these like he's a Juilliard trained actor who is like incredibly theatric and big. And I remember him being interviewed and asked about like these these like fits of rage that he goes into, mm-hmm. which is like the funniest thing that his character does on that show. Yeah. And they're like, are those fun to shoot? And he's like, no, not at all, because I actually go there. I'm incredibly upset when I like come out of that scene. And it feels so much like Nick is making the choice of like, I'm actually going to go to these places instead of like trying to do the sort of like improv like swarmy thing. He's like, I'm going to try to like fully commit to this character. And that, that commitment is throughout the entire movie. Uh, he, you can tell that he is like, he has this take on this character and he's like, I'm just going to play it this exact like truthful, uh, like as true of a way as possible to this character. And uh, it, it's really fun. And like, it on- honestly made me want to like see more of him. This is the only movie that I've ever seen where he's like making a big comedic choice like this. And of course it like, it, it's not always working, but that the like, I, I really enjoy it overall as a, as a comedic performance. And I'm like glad that it exists. I think it's super funny. I mean, his character um, is yeah. super consistent, like the world around it or the direction yeah, or totally. like certain elements or like the type of comedy or the universe kind of is where it kind of falls flat, which is more in direction. But like, his character is super consistent. And like like you were saying about that Glenn Howerton mm-hmm. bit, when I was watching one of the scenes where Nick's like talking with God and like there is so much body language and groveling and fear and like just like very like high vibration going on that like 
I watch it and it's like a five minute scene, but I know they were shooting for hours doing that scene. And that must have been so for sure taxing, like like the stamina to like keep that up to the degree he did was probably like some exhausting acting. And like it it plays well because the scenes are so short, but yeah. Yeah, and to to like expand on that, the that one of the first scene that God comes and speaks to him, and God is played by Russell Brand. But one of the things that they do uh, is that Nick is receiving dialysis, and then God starts speaking to him. Like first, it's like Russell Brand's face on the dialysis monitor, and then uh, one of the actors playing a doctor comes over, and it's Russell Brand's voice, but it's that it's this like woman uh, uh, doctor who's like actually like sort of mouthing uh, the lines from Russell Brand. So you know that that scene took like a lot of coordination and probably took it was a long shoot. And he does. He he 100% like stays at the same level of commitment throughout the entire thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. I I I I'm really like I, I was like very very tickled and just like it was just fun to see because it is also some people will sort of get on Nick for being kind of one note and it's like oh he does this one thing that's like a thing we talk about on the show a lot as as being this really really reductive take on Nick and this is so far afield from anything that he's done it's really wacky and and different and it's almost like uh, um and it it, like it's kind of confuses you in that like the way he performs is so hokey and so stupid and like on the surface especially the first scene it really puts you in there he's just like yammering on like about stupid shit during his dialysis thing and it almost sounds like this guy can't be serious like this is such a stupid like clown performance but you kind of get like almost like off balance because he just commits to it so hard and it really is him and the character yeah, he convinces you. he really does he really does yeah uh, uh no yeah i i couldn't agree more he totally just like he, he kind of forces you to adjust and then regardless of how absurd the character is and it is super absurd yeah. you do kind of just come around to like oh this is who this guy is yeah. like you i just know i just know this character now yeah um, i mean like yeah the there's some pacing issues and the, like like there's a in the beginning they show like a pretty climactic moment where he's like paragliding in the middle east and then it's like it shows yeah. you that and then it's like let's take you back to the beginning but the narrative structure like it doesn't really get to that like that paragliding scene is such a throwaway moment in between the three or yeah. four trips to Pakistan um which oh man there's the CIA agents are fucking funny too dude uh Dwight uh oh, that's right Rain, Rain Wilson, Wilson they do um, some good ah, like yeah. god like the actors shine in this for sure like I don't want to like completely throw the the directing over the bus especially if they're this upset about the final cut because there's so much there and with yeah. a comedy you can really change how it plays because scenes can just breathe or be concise and like bits can be so different depending on totally. the take that like i could see this movie being completely different with a different cut so like i almost want to give them the benefit Couldn't of the doubt that it could be it could have been a much even better movie than it is because like it is fucking funny some of those scenes like genuine laughter which i did not expect definitely you can tell that like 
a lot of the movie is uh, a lot of the movie does feel improvised. I know that uh, Larry Charles loves to like improvisation in his projects, and Nick loves improv. Um, like Wendy uh, McClendon again, mm-hmm. Reno Nine One One is a show that is entirely improvised. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then like Rain Wilson, I'm sure is like a great improviser as well. So yeah, I'm sure that there are man. It does maybe more so than any of the other movies that I've seen. I, I wish that we could get a director's cut yeah. of this because I feel like. I, I really yeah i feel like it could be totally different and not even that this movie is like it, it 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 isn't disappointing but just to know yeah the fact that that came up over and over when i was doing research for the movie uh over and over again that was the nick's like talking point for the movie like yeah. if he was giving any sort of a quote on this movie it was like we're really upset that wow. larry charles had uh, final cut taken away from him it's totally worth yeah. a watch absolutely um, there's so much so much going on i mean there's like yeah. a few moments like a few like times where the pacing is just too slow or too repetitive where you kind of gloss over i think the whole mm-hmm. vegas thing wasn't very funny or needed um with like <laughs> the like the vegas thing felt like a reference back to leaving las vegas and so which... they just like wanted to put nick at a table which is kind of interesting because there is an amazing tickled me moment where he gets very breaking the fourth wall in postmodern where nick cage is playing the guy who's based in real life and he's talking about how in the movie at that part of his life that film crews are asking him to make a movie based on his life and they're like oh they tell me you know who do they want to play me and you know they've given me like all these like big names and they said nick cage and i said oh i kind of look like nick cage in in con air don't i (laughs) and it's like him talking to the camera talking about it's a very funny meta moment oh it's so good it landed well dude that (laughs) was so funny it really is good yeah, and to like know, I'm sure that was like improvised. That that's yeah. such a funny like moment. Uh, yeah, it is. It is really. Yeah, I, I I was I was like truly delighted by most of this movie, and I was also like a little worried about how like I was just like a little worried about like how of some of the like cultural stuff. The fact that this movie is so largely about xenophobia mm-hmm. and like uh and, and specifically Islamophobia mm-hmm. and how pervasive that that is. Um. And how it affected and like fucked up the minds of certain American people, so they had these really irrational fears about uh, Islamic people. And the the way that this movie engages with that and handles that, I think, is like really lovely and kind of like sweet. And um, it's not like trying to be too like he's ham fisted about it either. Like, there's just a great no, gen- not like at all. it's believable. Like the very first scene when he gets to Pakistan for the first time is his conversation with the taxi driver, and it's such a funny fucking conversation that reminds me of American Uber drivers talking with someone who's never been to America, just saying crazy stuff. It's like one for sure, one yeah. they're like trying to understand him and just having a good time and like do you know the yeah, bearded it's man like really, it becomes like a really sweet like cultural share like yeah. all, all of this stuff he like befriends a number of different uh pakistani people throughout his time there that's basically the whole thing is like because he's actually so ill-equipped to handle the mission that he's on it ends up just being him sort of like on vacation wandering around yeah. and interacting <laughs> with different people yeah. and like loving it all like he's just enjoying himself so much in a different country uh yeah it's i i, I kind of i, I really in, ended up enjoying like the core message of the movie in that way and then there's yeah there's there's not everything hits not everything is like yeah. great or had me laughing but i yeah. i do think that like 
comedically, it's really, really fun to see him in this role. And then um, more often than not, like the supporting cast is set up in a way mm-hmm. where they can they can have fun. Um, but yeah, there's a when you're you, you ready to give your uh, final thoughts on yeah, this? Yeah, yeah. I'll I'll just give my final thoughts with with this that like uh, when you're in it, it's a lot. Like Nick Cage is a lot, Mm -hmm. but like, it's one of those things that if you were to see a scene from it fresh without like the hour leading up to it, it was funny when you watched it, but man, it could land. So like, there are some super funny fucking scenes, man. And it's unique. Like it's a unique, weird, funny that like doesn't hit all the time. Like some of the stunts are weird and the extras are weird and some of the scenes are unneeded in the pacing or whatever, but like just, you know, what you watch a comedy for, which is just like, so hopefully there's some scenes in there that make you laugh. 100% has this. And I was, honestly, when I started it, you know, this like Nick Cage playing a wacky character, doing this stupid voice in a movie that's got terrible reviews, talking about like a kind of touchy subject. I was like, man, this is making me not yeah. feel great that about the Tiger King, um, which is a big reason why we watch this. Because like mm-hmm. on paper, this seems like the ultimate meme, right? Someone like, oh, and it's this crazy guy who's actually real. And we're going to get Nick Cage to do it. And he's going to go to Pakistan with a katana and it's going to be stupid. And it's like, okay, this never took off and it got terrible reviews and Nick is being a ham. So I was really worried, like, God, this is a precursor to Tiger King. But after watching the movie, I feel a little bit more confident of him taking on the Tiger King, honestly. Like, I think it's going to be kind of interesting. And maybe if it's like a project that everybody signs off on that they really love and it has that like unique wacky level, like I'm on board for it, like pr- like surprisingly optimistic. So uh, my closing thoughts, though, um, man, I was going to say a good bad because uh, they're there's some stuff that doesn't land and isn't that good, but like, I don't know, man. It's almost like a really low end good, good in, in some ways. Like, yeah, it's interesting. I'm, I'm right there with you. I, I think like before we had this discussion, I was probably at a good, bad and talking about it more. I'm like, Oh, you know what? I, a lot of this did work for me. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's definitely on the low end of good, good, but like, Sure. some some bits work some like characters are amazing like and there's some weird like like i said even though it's inconsistent and like there are issues you can definitely make an argument for it like those issues being something that is a choice by the director in some ways you know because of like the dialysis and the hallucinations and like how like all over the place everything in the movie is it's like maybe you don't need to know exactly the rules of this universe and i will give it mm-hmm. i will give it as it is a good bad but officially an honorary good good because i believe that the good good movie is a hundred percent there and if it were up to the director and nicholas cage it would exist and therefore it still does exist as a good good in the cut that is meant to be seen hashtag director's cut wow good good yeah release the army of one director's cut you cowards exactly um no derek i think that was really well said uh i think that yeah overall like the act of actually watching the movie i think that 
I think comedies is are one of those like genres that you can go into, and if you're in a judgmental space, you can kind or like have any sort of like a preconceived notion of it. It can really like negatively affect your experience. Yeah. And I definitely knew that this movie had gotten panned, but a, a phenomenon that happens all the fucking time with comedies is that I wildly disagree with critics. Like, I think you, you like MacGruber too, right? Oh yeah. Do I love MacGruber? I'm going to shoot. One of my favorite comedies of all time was notoriously critically panned, got terrible reviews. And it was like kind of a wake up call for me where it's like, I just, I don't trust critics when it comes to reviewing comedies. I just Mm -hmm. don't like whatever the Metacritic is. I don't put any sort of weight on that. And I think that this, there are so many funny and unique choices. I really appreciate that considering the subject matter that, that, like you were talking about, this could have been a really, like, groany, upsetting, like, take on the specific subject matter. It ends up having a lot of heart and a lot of, like, sensitivity and, and, like, a really, like, a really nice message on top of, like, a lot of very funny choices being made. There's a, a, a just like to throw out a random scene. Um, Paul Shear plays Nick's um, friend, uh, like his best friend in in the movie. And there's a there's a very funny scene where Nick is like up watching the news and like shouting about how you know the U.S. troops aren't doing enough to bring in Osama bin Laden. And Paul Shear comes out like panicked, like, "Hey, he has, clearly his wife is in the other room. They're letting Nick crash on the couch." Um, and like the, the interaction that they have isn't even the funny thing, but the house is full of dolls, (laughs) every inch of every surface. There's like dolls all over the place and it has this really like lived in feel. And the fact that it's so full of dolls and then also like Paul Shears clear, just like he's kind of playing that sort of like cuckold energy of like being really worried about not upsetting his friend but also really worried about like not upsetting his wife and there there are just like little moments like that every scene that rain wilson is who who plays uh, a cia agent who's stationed in pakistan um like all of that stuff is really really funny everything with wendy mcclendon is really really funny and then just nick commitment to the character uh i think i do and and despite all of that i don't want to give people the wrong idea fully there's definitely jokes that don't land there is a sort of like a tonal inconsistency throughout the movie um but overall i think the movie's really like delightful and pleasant and and definitely has some laughs in there um so i'll give it a good good wow um but but now derek it's time now that we've given our thoughts on the movie we gotta decide where it falls in the larger pantheon of Cage movies. Talk about apples the and oranges. segment that we call Cage Match. Cage yeah, match. totally. Does not fit in at all. Um, so our list as of right now, and it's getting long. Oh, my God. We've got... Okay, taking a deep breath before I do this. Mandy, Joe, Bad Lieutenant, Port of Call, New Orleans, The Trust, Doggy Dog, The Frozen Ground, Color Out of Space, National Treasure, The Book of Secrets, Season of the Witch, Stolen, National Treasure... Grand Isle, Kill Chain, Outcast, Ghost Rider, Primal, Pay the Ghost, Left Behind, Sorcerer's Apprentice, and At the Bottom of the Barrel, Knowing. This is, yeah, this is kind of a tough one. Well, um, I will say... We I, haven't handed would, out a I lot of I would watch it again. Goods. So that immediately yeah, puts totally. it above a lot. Like, right off the bat. 
Yeah, that's true. Not a lot of these. I'm uh, I'm not champing at the bit to rewatch. Seventy five percent of these. Yeah, <laughs> so, and like not only that, yeah, that's definitely the an cage advantage. performance is one of the main draws. It's what shines. So it's a it's a repeat watch with another great point. Huge cage performance. So we're already at least in the color out of space territory. I think. Yes. Uh, yeah, I think color out of space is probably the cutoff point. Um, yeah, you know what? I, I'm looking, I'm looking through, I think putting it in between beneath dog eat dog and the frozen ground kind of feels nice to me. Above frozen ground, Um, below dog eat dog, you're saying? Yeah. Do I, do I need to send you this list or? I have it just without the witch, so it's fine. Um. Oh, okay. I mean, I think it's, it's either there or... In between, it's so hard to like measure this movie against Book of Secrets. Like, it's just not yeah even in the or same color fucking out of space. universe. Like, color out of space is really a different thing. Yeah, I I was like kind of confident to put it over Color Out of Space, but they just do such different things. But I mean, they I feel like it and Color Out of Space are kind of when you think of that, they're both like genre pictures. One, one right. is a comedy and one is uh, sort of like psychological cosmic horror. horror. And they both, I think are kind of achieving similar levels of success yeah. in, in their respective genres. It's yeah. like, it's like, this isn't perfect, but there's stuff here that is working. He's committed in both of those performances. Um, there's like uniqueness to both of those projects that, that I'm attracted to. Um, hmm. I mean, I like oh, I think the trust and above are kind of like cohesive packages. Um although the trust does have yes. a little bit of um like weak corners once in a while. But then frozen ground all the way to like Book of Secrets stolenish is like good movies that have a lot going for it, but there are these kind of like things that detract and weigh them down that don't quite hit. Um and that's yes, definitely where correct. we're at um, with this. But I think maybe it is on the higher end of that. Um, and I mean, you know, the intention of the movie is to do what? Make you laugh. And it does, right? Like, that's also a big win yeah. in terms of a lot of the movies on this list. Um, that's true. We don't like the movie despite itself yeah, in think... a lot of ways. We just kind of like the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like I enjoy it for expressly what the director was trying to do. Um, yeah, uh, I think that, yeah, I think maybe I, I was right. I think either, do you have any arguments? I'm feeling like a little apathetic towards the frozen ground right, right. now, so I'd be happy to put it above it, but also I could be swayed of of putting it below i mean yeah i'm like more interested in how the like how it stacks up pros and cons with color out of space for some reason even though frozen ground is like right there i know um like because we we gave it frozen ground pretty high because it was consistent it was cohesive it was um like 
like it's just a complete film like it's like oh this is very clear what the intention was here and they they came relatively close to them hitting the mark on that i mean movie. i i'm feeling uh, i'm feeling this? above i'm feeling above the frozen ground yeah yeah I think that the because the thing about the frozen ground is it was sort of held back by the fact that it was telling a true story. Mm-hmm. I think this movie really reveled and elevated its source material. Yeah. I think it probably took like a fun story that was you know kind of like in the news cycle. It was kind of the it was the hot topic, and then it was like oh let's dig into this and actually like create some comedy from it and then also have like a sweet nice message plus it's um, helped by like I, I not only a great nick performance which frozen ground is good but not like the big part of the movie but also just like a killer supporting cast like so many fun yeah. bits with characters who aren't nick like in the movie god every, everything in the airport is yeah also so we didn't fucking funny I, i'm not i'm not a big <laughs> I'm not a big Russell Brand fan. No. I'm kind of annoyed by him, but I do think that specifically the casting choice of putting him as not necessarily a god, but the version of god that a man who is going through dialysis withdrawals oh kind of god, envisions dude. is very funny. There is a moment I think that's where he's trying choice. to get his katana in through the airport security. And the woman is just trying to like, you can't have that. And he's like pushing and pushing. Yeah. And he's like, you tell George Washington that and we would never even have them in the United States. You know, like pushing and pushing. And then like Russell Brand's God character just decides that like this scene has gone on too long. I'm getting impatient and annoyed. And he pops up on the TV and he goes like, just check the look, like put it down. And then Nick Cage's character just does that insane 180 and it just goes, Oh yes, my yeah. Lord. And like, the the woman who's like running the front desk has to just like see this insane change and it made me laugh so like oh, it's so good yeah above frozen ground for sure like this movie has yeah such it definitely funny yeah that scenes. is maybe the best encapsulation of that the the, the thing uh, like his character being this person who is obsessed with like American individuality and the power that that gives him to challenge anyone who's telling him no in any aspect of his life. Uh, and then just hearing <laughs> a direction from God of and like absolutely throwing Russell all of that Brand just being like so annoyed and be like, just shut up. And then he freaks out. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. I'm good with it's that. Good. Okay. So we're putting it above the frozen ground. Yeah. I wish, I will say, I wish it was lit a little bit brighter. My God. It can be so dreary for a comedy. It is not lit like a comedy at all. It is. Yeah. And it, it gives it sort of like a sense of reality. It's like true. I kind of, like the scene but but at, at the same time it is kind of dreary a lot of it actually looks like and this is kind of getting into a can of worms but uh, i don't know if you've ever like seen any of the takes about how the u.s depicts it, like the color palette of foreign countries in the u.s essentially like anywhere in the middle east gets that sort of like yellow color tone or like anywhere in like south america as well they get this like very very warm temp like color temperature um but the scenes shot in pakistan with that color palette and then also like the narration that sort of like wry witty narration reminded me so much of arrested development yeah. as well of like all the stuff that takes place in mexico in arrested development mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, i got that vibe too 
Yeah. Uh, which is, a, that's a nice thing to evoke. Um, but yeah, okay, so that's our list. Army of One sitting right beneath Dog Eat Dog. I can't believe it. C- I congratulations, can't believe it. Army of One. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, and I, and, know, I, and right? I will say, like, part of it, too, is the, like, uh, benefit of the doubt that the editing held this movie back a bit. And it was, like, not, it seemed like it was not even in, like, the control of the person who made the movie to, to do that, too. Which elevates, yeah. I think, like, totally, you know, the the execution of, of yeah Cage. it's definitely disappointing i know that um paul schrader who directed dog eat dog uh another one of our classic nick cage films um or contemporary cage films he also made a movie with nick that we'll cover on this show eventually um called um shit i forget what it's called but he he was so so dissatisfied with the final cut that the studio gave that movie uh not not dog eat dog but this movie that he had made previously with nick that he with all of the stolen footage edited it together and then released it illegally onto torrent sites (laughs) under the name dark Um, so there's like a uh, he he just like subverted them and was like fucking i'm going punk with this and just released his final cut because they wouldn't put it on like dvds or anything uh or like release it at all um, so I, I've thought about that as like, oh, that's the version of that movie we should watch whenever we do. Um, okay. Derek, are you re- ready for a, a little segment that we call Cage News? <laughs> National Treasure. It's been in the news over and over again since we started the second season of the show. And once again, it's rearing its little head. Uh, Derek, I don't know if you heard about this. National Treasure TV series oh. is in the works at Disney+. Plus. Oh, so, with Cage? And before we have too big of a reaction, we've talked a little bit about uh, how Nick ha- ha- is signed on for two more movies, a third and a fourth National Treasure. Right. This series doesn't necessarily, it doesn't have Nick attached right now. He yeah. might come on for like a cameo or something, all right. of that. But this is going to be separate from him. Ugh, then um, I really don't want to watch it. <laughs> yeah. Unless it's like a crazy reboot. <laughs> no, I'm with, I'm, I'm with you. I mean, it's like, eh, maybe. Like, it's like entirely dependent on who's attached to it and like what they're trying to do. Because it's like, I kind of like the core concept of National Treasure a little more. Like I, I like the pitch of National Treasure more than I like the actual movies. Yeah. Um like I, I like we've talked a little bit about how it's interesting to do um an adventure fiction movie that's obsessed with US history right. instead of like uh, ancient you know, that's sort of like right yes um i mean i i I think that that's interesting so yeah yeah eh, i wouldn't hold my breath i do think like the pitch you're right is like is more interesting kind of (laughs) like like with this movie the army of one movie like um describing scenes and like what people say and what the scene is (laughs) is almost as fun as just watching it because it's so fucking crazy all right so that's that um who knows when we get it interesting 
Um, we might check it out. Maybe a little uh, offshoot offshoot podcast where we just go into each episode yes. breakdown of this stupid ass trash it, heads. It'll just be like um, just some young fucking pop bubblegum celebrity. Like uh, who's that guy? Get you, get your head in the game. <laughs> He's probably old now. Zach Efron. Get your head in the game. Yeah. Wait. Get you, get you, get you, get your head oh, in the Zach game. Oh, Zach Efron. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I could imagine. I could, I could see Zach. Um, or, or. I mean, the the thing is though that we don't have. We it, there's no specific look like if he's playing a young Benjamin Gates, like getting mm. into going on adventures in the way that they had the young Indiana Jones show with. Uh, didn't they have like a young Indiana Jones? Isn't that a thing? Young Indy? Or am I just remembering? Are you just remembering the, uh, Shia LaBeouf the, from the, the Crystal se- Skull? <laughs> the sequence in three. Oh. Well, there's You're the remembering sequence the sequence with in River three. Phoenix. Well, then they also go into like why oh, okay. he became you know afraid what? of snakes too. With the Batman moment. Right. I think there's also like books, like young adult novelizations of young Indiana Jones or something. I think that's yeah. what I'm doing. But yeah, it, I don't know. It, it could... I don't know. I don't care. It's just <laughs> yeah. Nick Cage related news. I'm not excited for this. Okay. What's the next one? Next up we've got a uh, we've got I just sent you a link, Derek. We've got Jimmy Fallon as Nicholas yeah, Cage I've, as Tiger I've King. I've seen us... the like uh headlines, but I have not gotten myself to click it because I don't like Jimmy Fallon, but I hear this is kind of crazy. Yeah, we're we're lockstep on that. I'm no, I think this is bad. Well, we'll watch it really quick and then okay. we'll, okay. we'll so share our do reaction. Do magic cut. Okay. And we can just heard the news we'll that Nicholas Cage has been cast. Nice. To I really Tiger don't like King. him. And everyone on the internet is all freaking out about it and all excited about it. And we are so excited about it too, only because we got sneak footage, a sneak peek. Sneak of footage. Tiger King starring this Nicolas fucking Cage. moron. And, well, what am I supposed to do but just share it with you guys? I have to. So here, for the first time ever, is footage of Nicolas Cage as Tiger King. Hello, my name's Joe Exotic, and welcome to the GW Zoo. <laughs> my pets are the same as your pets, except mine have three-inch teeth and weigh 400 pounds. Does any grandma or child want to take a picture with this baby tiger? Tonight's show goes out to Carol Baskin. Carol Baskin. Carol Baskin. <laughs> Carol Baskin. You think you're better than, than me? Because you, you, you own a tiger rescue, and I own a sketchy zoo that's running out of meat. Thank you, officer. Thank you for letting me know that I'm not supposed to murder a woman in Florida. How was I supposed to know? I've seen enough. Yeah, I've seen enough, too. Okay, we're stopping. We made it halfway through. That sucks. Jimmy Fallon just fucking sucks. It really sucks. Uh, like It's the epitome of, like, one of the things... When you see a like a really funny impressionist who both can do a convincing impression but also has like a specific comedic take. Right. On that's the thing that's that what makes doing, a good impression. Like, oh, that's so exciting. Right. But Jimmy is literally just doing 
a Nicolas Cage impression from fucking 1999. Well, and then also just doing specific like quotes from Tiger King. Just it's like it's a, it's lazy too. It's, it's just so cadence. It's just the cadence of how he says right. certain lines mixed with like a kind of shitty Hulk Hogan-y, somewhat Cage-ish voice, and then just like just insert lines. Yeah, it's it's just not like very funny or good at all like the great impressions create like a third character like a new version of this person based off of like some weird quirk of theirs expanded into this like creative funhouse mirror of who they are and this is just yeah. like so fucking it's like somebody at a party who you're encouraging to do it but he's not an actor but he'll try it anyway and he just does like some on the level shit like on the surface level shit and it's kind of embarrassing, but whatever. But this is a professional fucking late night host going viral with his like stupid ass. Nah, uh, it's a no for me, dog. Yeah, have have a take. Have like a simple comedic take on this thing. This is exactly what the point that you were making uh, last week when we were talking about the fact that this was a thing that was happening. This is the exact type of like shit yeah. that I don't want to see yes, that we like, fear. as a reaction to it. Because it's just saying like, here is two popular things. Let me remind you of them. It's in no take, yeah. Yeah. nothing to say. I'm just going to evoke them. Yeah. Uh, it's, it sucks and it's lazy. Do bet. And especially after watching this movie this week yeah. where it's so far afield from any it, it it has no like Nicolas caginess in the performance of of Gary Faulkner so the idea i like i'm sure that joe exotic is also going to be similarly like not like removed from cage as a persona and his specific like take on other classic like cage characters so it's just it's just incredibly this, dumb. Uh, uh, this um, is a and, so, yeah. super super dumb thing to get upset about in life is like <laughs> Jimmy <laughs> Fallon's impersonation of Nicolas Cage impersonating the Tiger King from a stupid Netflix documentary. But we do a Nicolas Cage podcast about his contemporary works, and he's being cast in a contemporary yeah. piece, and we're trying to discover the truth. So this is relevant to us, and if anybody should have a take on it, it's yeah. us, and we do absolutely find this deplorable. <laughs> As the kids on the internet say, this is extremely our shit. This is the exact <laughs> type of thing that we are supposed to somehow, care about. Somehow, somehow. Um, my life has led this to yeah, be my somehow show. we've stumbled in <laughs> to this being the most heated we've gotten in months. <laughs> um, <laughs> but that'll, I think that'll do it for Cage News. Um, if you guys enjoy the show, please throw us a review on iTunes. Uh, if you guys want to follow the show on Twitter and Instagram, we are at CagePod. And if you want to email the show, we are ContemporaryCage at gmail.com. Uh, Derek. Yeah. Writing writing a review helps. We're gonna a watch lot. a movie. Okay. Writing a review is super meaningful. We'd we'd love it if y'all would do it. Um, Derek, we're going to watch. Sort of. Okay, we're gonna watch The Wicker Man this next week. Oh, really? Kind of a classic. That's... Yes, it's sort of it's it. A little bit of a throwback for us. It a little is. Older. It um, is. But. An essential, an essential Nick K 
cage watch um kind of towards you know he had his upward trajectory where he was both a critical darling and then also a huge box office success wicker man is kind of the it was a neil laboot film who is sort of a more indie filmmaker and it's uh, a really kind of wacky performance from cage uh, and it was both critically panned and also did not do well in the box office at all. So it's kind of an, and it was one of his first like bombs in both regards there. Uh, and it was kind of early on in this in this era that we're exploring. So uh, I'm interested. I've never seen The Wicker the Man. The Descent. I've seen, um, um, he plays the original, which clips. is amazing. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, which is kind yeah. of a bummer because like, having watched that like it was it's not something that you'll necessarily find very easily because it was made in the 70s it's really early filmmaking right but um i watched it in film school they like had us watch it and i was like what the hell is this but man it is very especially as someone who kind of likes the weird horror and fantasy stuff and like an ari aster fan it's very kind of ari aster and it's like it's very much midsummer in a lot of ways yeah. um but obviously way before totally. then so like that's what I'm I think it, like gonna be yeah. <laughs> like undoubtedly like having to compare it to and it's gonna fucking suck. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there is a way where we come out of this very surprised because again, like you just said, there's some elements that are very much up your alley. He's also playing a de- like I think he is playing a detective, which is very up my alley. Going mm-hmm. to explore, you know, like a singular uh, uh, detective is like very very interesting to me. It, you know, who I don't know. I've never seen it. It's it's maybe his most like memed performance because there's some I good think. meme moments like the, for the sure bees. yeah the bees where he, yeah, he punches the bee, a like lady i don't in know what that is i don't know this context of it but i know it you know yeah wow this one may be the lowest <sighs> okay but tomatometer we'll... score that we've ever seen 15 oh no <laughs> this is bottoming out of the tomatometer <laughs> the tomatometer <laughs> this is this is dire um but yeah guys thank you so so much for listening and if you want to watch along for the wicker man next week uh we'll see you then bye bye